We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. But tonight we're, uh, we're looking at the sign of Jonah, and I thought it was fitting. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it the Wonder Years, looking at all of his miracles. And this is, it kind of gets to a point here in chapter 11 where, where Jesus is kind of about to shut off the valve to Israel. Okay, main point here is that Israel has rejected the greater for the lesser. They've rejected the greater for the lesser because Jesus was the substance to which the entire Old Testament pointed to. And two times in this gospel that Luke says, he, uh, Jesus says he, he, something greater than blank is here. He says, Jonah and Solomon. Matthew adds in his gospel, something greater than the temple is here. So we have three different things that Jesus is saying something greater is here. Now, they don't think that Luke... Uh, he didn't put the temple here because his audience would have been the Gentiles. It would have been the Greeks. They would not have necessarily cared about the temple, but Matthew added the temple. So three things Jesus is saying he's greater than. If you look at the Old Testament, they break it up into three different sections called the Tanakh, okay? T-N-K, Torah, Navim, and Ketuvim. You got the law, the prophets, and the writings. That, comprom- that comprised the entire of, of the Old Testament. So if you see here, Jesus says something greater than Jonah's here, the prophets, Something greater than Solomon's here, the writings. He comprised uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, the Proverbs, most of the writings. And then in Matthew's gospel, something greater than the law is here, or something greater than the temple is here representing the law. So you have the entirety of the Old Testament that Jesus is saying something greater than the Old Testament's here because it pointed to me. So that's what we're looking to. We also see in this passage the final straw for Israel. They've crossed the line. They've gone too far. Up until this point, Jesus is performing miracle after miracle, sign and wonder. Uh, We get to Luke chapter 9 with the transfiguration where he reveals his glory uh, up on top of the mountain to his disciples. And he comes down and it says he sets his face towards Jerusalem for his impending death. And then we get here to chapter 11. And Jesus is about to shut the valve off to Israel, those seeking after signs because he's performed so many miracles. You remember right before this, he heals a demon-possessed man, and what do they do? They attribute it to the works of Satan. They say, by the prince of demons, he cast out this demon. And he says, you've gone too far. That's it. Jesus is about to go zero, dark 30. And I think about it, he says, man, I played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. I sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. I have tried to come at you from every angle. I have given you every miracle under the sun and yet you still reject me. I have tried it all. And while he's preaching right before this passage, you remember a woman shouts out into the crowd. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the, and the breast that nursed you. And he turns it back to her and he says, blessed rather are those who hear my words and obey them. And Matthew adds a, a different story, but exactly the same concept right after this. You remember he says, after he was preaching, his disciples came to him and they said, your mother and brother and and sisters are here to see you. And he goes, who are my mother and brother and sisters? These are my mother and brother and sisters. Those who sit at my feet, they hear my words and they obey my commands. So it's like he elevates this spiritual reality over the physical one. Did, Did being Jewish have some value in this context? Absolutely. Our Old Testament's Jewish, our New Testament's Jewish. Uh, Our Messiah is Jewish, our forefathers are Jewish, but he said, unless you have a personal relationship with me, it means absolutely nothing. Unless you hear my words and obey my commands, it means nothing. Religion without a relationship is worthless. And that's what Jesus came onto the scene to say, it's about the heart. It's all about the heart. 
John the Baptist, do not say that we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that, G, uh, that God can raise up stones as Abraham's son. Um, Jesus, a little bit later, uh, well, we can't say today, you know, I was born into a Christian household. I've gone to church my whole life. I'm good, right? It means nothing if we didn't have a personal, if we don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if we don't know him. And then right after this passage, we see this as kind of judgment. He's about to withdraw from Israel and he's about to go to parables. He says, I'm about to teach to them in parables for, every, for, for what little they have I'm gonna take from them and give to you. The secrets of the kingdom will be made known to you, but not them. So only to understand Jesus, you have, you have to humbly submit yourself to him and have a relationship with him. So this, this chapter is judgment. Uh, no more signs are gonna be sown. So then we get here, chapter 11, verse 29. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. This generation is an evil generation. Matthew adds in his gospel, this evil and adulterous generation. So we get this idea, uh, this idea that Jesus is coming up onto the scene and it's, this, it's, it's the audience that Hosea dealt with. Uh, he's dealing with infidelity, adultery. You remember he tells Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute to sh- be an example of this is Israel to me, is a prostitute, unfaithful. So we get this concept that this is the audience that Jesus comes to. Um, and you remember Israel had such an issue with idol worship from the kings on. They just worshiped idols, worshiped idols until God finally exiled them out of their land and he brought them back. And they never really had idol worship again. That was never really something they dealt with. What did they deal with? What kind of emerged in, the, in between the Old and New Testament with the synagogues and the Pharisees? Remember, uh, this Pharisaical Judaism that all of a sudden has become legalistic. It's become strictly religious with no relationship. They are staunch in their religion. Uh, they do all the right things. They can check off all the boxes. They look good on the outside. Remember, Jesus says, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside are men's bones. Uh, and Jesus quotes Isaiah and Matthew. He says, uh, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of men. That's who Jesus is addressing. And a little bit later, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who slay the prophets and stone those who were sent to you, how I wished as a, as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings that I, I wished to gather you, but you were unwilling. You were unwilling. So we see Israel has swayed and they have committed adultery on the Lord. And that's the, that's the generation that Jesus shows up to. And then verse 29, it continues. It says, this generation, it seeks for a sign. Uh, They don't seek for a sign to believe in him as the son of God. They seek for a sign to be entertained. They seek for a sign to be healed. They seek for a sign to be helped. Uh, You remember Jesus fed the 5,000. He says, you are only coming after me, not because you saw signs and wonders, but because your stomachs were filled. That's why you're coming after me. Uh, They want the garden, but they don't want God. Uh, Give me the benefits of God without God. You know, the irony is how many signs and wonders up to this point have we just gone in on Luke? How many signs and wonders has Jesus performed to these people? Countless. Just to name a few, few, you got the healing of the demon possessed, the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, 
Uh, we have the paralytic, the withered hand, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, Jesus, there is no reason they should not believe that this is the Son of God. What more do they need? Verse 29 then continues, it says this, but no sign, although they're seeking for it, will be given except the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? Well, Matthew adds and, and answers this in his gospel. He says this, just as Jonah was in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. His death and his resurrection. Side note here, real quick. Do, does Jesus believe in the historicity of Jonah? That Jonah was a literal man in a literal time? You bet. Dr. Dominic Crisson, who is a uh, New Testament scholar, written over 30 books on the origins of Christianity. He's written on the historical Jesus, the historical Paul. Uh, believed by many to be the leading Jesus scholar in the New Testament, in the world. He does not believe in the historicity of Jonah. And there are many who don't. They believe it's some allegorical book like Moby Dick or something, a wives' tale like Paul Bunyan. But, um, and if you just read it on this, verse 29, you could say, okay, that could be something like, you know, Jesus is as strong as Superman, right? Superman is a fictitious character, but... Uh, we get the concept, right? But verse 32, I think, puts that in its place. So we'll jump down to verse 32 real quick. We'll expound on it later. But verse 32, it says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the jo judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. This is a literal people that will play some role in the judgment in the end. Jonah is historical according to Jesus. You cannot read Jesus and deny the historicity of Jonah. Back to it. Verse 30 then, it goes on to say, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh in that he was in the belly of the fish, so the son of man will be to this generation in his death and his resurrection. The fact that Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, he not only survived, which is a miracle in and of itself, he not only survives, but he was spit on then dry ground, pointed in the exact direction that he was due to go to from the very beginning that he was running from, was to be a sign to the people of Nineveh that this man is no doubt from me this is my confirmation. This is my stamp of approval. Listen to him. Listen to this message. How much more, how much infinitely greater was Jesus to his generation in that he died, was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, raised back to life. How much more is that God saying, this is my son. There's no denying it. You cannot deny it. Uh, this is my stamp of approval, my confirmation. This man raised from the dead. Listen to him. So just as Jonah was to Nineveh, so Jesus was to this generation. There was no denying it. So we see so far this generation ask for sign after sign to which Jesus says, nope, no more signs are gonna be shown except my death and my resurrection, which is a sufficient means to believe in me. My death and my resurrection, that's all you need. So then we get to verse 31 and, and uh, Jesus is about to use two ultimate, uh, Old Testament examples of responses to, from human means. And he's about to show them as an example, saying that he's greater than them. So the first one is in verse 31, which is the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. It says this, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. We see a Gentile foreign woman, the queen of the south, come from the ends of the earth to see this mere man. If you would, Keep your finger right there and turn over to your left to 1 Kings chapter 10. We're going to look at the story of the Queen of Sheba 
And I want you to keep in mind the reaction of the queen of Sheba compared to the reaction of Jesus's generation when he came, okay? First Kings chapter 10. I'm gonna read verses one through 10 and then verse 13. So think about how they responded to Jesus and think about how, they res- how the queen of Sheba responds to Solomon. Verses one through 10 and then 13, verse one. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Does that sound like our Lord that's given us a sufficient amount of knowledge and means through his son, Jesus Christ? Verse four continues, it says, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She was breathless. She was speechless, dumbfounded. She could not believe what she saw. In verse six continues, it says, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land uh, of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom Blessed be the Lord, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then she pours out her blessing. That's all she can do. Verse 10, then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And then jump to verse 13. And King Solomon then gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon, she turned and went back to her land with her servants. I would imagine never to be the same again. Life changed forever. Think about this. We have a Gentile foreign woman who comes from the ends of the earth to hear of this grandeur and this majesty and the wisdom that she has heard. She comes from the ends of the earth and she is left speechless. And not only speechless, but all she knows to do then is to pour out her blessing on this man and say, not even the half of what I heard was told. That you are unlike anybody I've ever seen, unlike anybody I've ever heard. She pours out her blessing on him, which I would imagine meant absolutely nothing to Solomon, the richest man to ever live, right? The, the wisest man to ever live. That, the, the, what she gave him meant really nothing but she pours out her blessing on him. Yet Jesus is saying, if, if she was bewildered by him, how much more you guys in my generation, something far greater than Solomon is here. Something far greater than Solomon is here. And that's how she reacted. Yet you guys are rejecting me. So we see a staunch difference. Now, I'm gonna read this passage again, okay? Bear with me here. I'm gonna read it in light of if this was Jesus' generation Uh, responding to Jesus himself. So I'm gonna substitute the two. I'm gonna start in verse six. So just bear with me, okay? Verse six of chapter 10 in 1 Kings. And they said to Jesus, the report was true that we heard in our own land of your words and of your wisdom, but we did not believe the reports until we came and our own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told us. 
Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that we heard. Happy are your disciples. Happy are your followers who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because he was to be on the throne of Israel, right? The Davidic king. This was Joseph's son. Uh, Blessed be the Lord your God who's delighted to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then they gave to Jesus 120 talents of gold and very great quantity of spices and precious stones. They poured out their blessing on him. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that uh, these people gave to Jesus. Verse 13, and Jesus gave to them all that they desired, whatever they asked besides what was given them by the bounty of King Jesus. So they turned and went back to their land, never to be the same again. That is how Jesus's generation should have responded to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of Man, and the Son of God, their Messiah. Yet they rejected him, okay? So he uses the Queen of Sheba as an example to shame Israel and how they responded. Flip back to Luke then chapter 11. I'm gonna read the verse 32 real quick and then we're gonna be in Jonah. So if you just wanna cut through and go right to Jonah, feel more than free to do that. Verse 32 of chapter 11 of Luke though, now he's gonna say, uh, he's gonna use Jonah as an example. It's something greater than Jonah is here, ready? Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation also and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Turn to Jonah. Most of us, if not all of us know this story. I'm gonna talk a little bit of uh, chapter one, two, and then we're gonna kind of expound on chapter three, okay? Uh, But most of us know this. Remember, Jonah was called to go preach to the Ninevites, the Ninevites, these were like the evilest of evil of their generation. Some would say the modern day uh, ISIS or Taliban. Uh, you could also look to Don Kinney in his neighborhood right there. That would be about the Ninevites. Can you raise your hand, Don? Just kidding. That's a joke. Love you, Don. So chapter one is all about uh, Jonah's rejection of this message to go to the Ninevites. And, and he's fleeing God's presence, it says. And he gets a boat to go to Tarshish. And then, remember, God appointed a great wind and, and waves to, to take uh, place. And all of a sudden, everybody on the boat is, is scared. They're freaking out. And they cast lots to find out what is going on. Why is this happening? And they cast lots, and they find out Jonah's the reason that this great temp has come. This temptress has come. And uh, he says, it is me. I am the reason this is happening. Throw me over and kill me for that's all I really want to do is I want to die. And you remember, they throw him out into the ocean and the winds and the waves, they cease. And then what happens? Jonah thinks he's good as dead, right? What's it say? Verse uh, 17 of chapter one. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, an absolute miracle. And then chapter two, Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he prays and he thanks God for the grace that he has upon him. And uh, verse 10 of chapter two, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I love how it just, Jonah shows such a command of God over all creation in this. But he appoints the fish to vomit Jonah out upon the dry land, uh, setting in the face of the direction that he was intended to go from the very beginning. And then chapter three, okay? Verses one through 10, I'm about to read it, where Jonah goes to Nineveh now. It says this in verse one, 
when the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, because first time he rejected it, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Ready? Called out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Eight words, not one miracle. Let's see how they respond. Verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then verse six, you could also insert King Herod, who's during, who was the king during Jesus' time. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose, because that's how he should have responded. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Verse nine, for who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That was the king of Nineveh, the evilest of evil people that responded that way. And then we get to verse 10, which I love this. This is the Lord's heart, not only for the Ninevites, not only for people, this was his heart for Jesus' generation. Ready, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That was the Lord's heart. That was his heart, was grace. And that is why he sent his son. That was what he was hoping to do for them to relent. Now, if you compare the two, Jonah and Jesus, they're not even close, right? Jonah, we have, is a mere man, and he's a scared one at that. He's reluctant to take the message that God told him to take to the Ninevites. He runs away from the presence of the Lord. God miraculously swallows him up, puts him back on dry ground to get back to Nineveh, okay? Uh, the two could not be uh, more opposite. Jonah is also a stranger to the Ninevites. These are a Gentile people. Jonah is Jewish. Uh, they weren't even his brothers like Jesus was brothers with, it, with Israel. Uh, but he's reluctant to preach to them, who I said was modern-day ISIS, the Taliban. I mean, this was a scary people. Jonah preached eight words, and it was nothing but wrath and ruin. And he performed not one miracle. Jesus gave us 30-plus years of his life, three years of the gospel ministries, that we get to see all the signs and wonders that John, in his gospel, remember, writes, uh, even if we you know, not enough of the books in the world could contain everything that he did, okay? Two so opposite, uh, yet they repent with Jonah in sackcloth and ash, and they come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they reject the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah himself. It shouldn't even have been close. It shouldn't even have been close. Yet something greater than Jonah is here. Now, my wife and I are expecting our third child. We have two girls. This is going to be a boy, so we're excited. It can happen. Miracles happen. And something that's great about uh, getting ready for the baby is you get to go to these doctor's appointments, and they have what is called a sonogram. They're unbelievable. 
and you get to see inside this, her womb and you get to see this baby, uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And that sonogram is to show you the vital, all the vitals of the child to make sure the child's healthy, everything's going well. And it's just to give you a little glimpse of what's gonna come in the future. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and then when the baby comes, how much greater is that baby, right? Well, Israel has got so caught up in the sonograms, something that was to point to the future, point to the baby, that they reject the baby. They've got so caught up in the shadows that they reject the substance that the shadows all pointed to. Israel rejected the greater for the lesser. And that's what Jesus is saying, something so far greater than you've ever imagined or thought you thought the Messiah was gonna be a man. What if I told you he was God and he tabernacled among you and he not only preached, but he did every sign and wonder you could think of under the heaven to make you understand and yet you still reject him. They have rejected the greater for the lesser. So three times in this passage, well, if you include Matthew, Jesus says something greater is here. Something greater than the Old Testament is here. Something greater than the law, the prophets and the writings is here because they all pointed to me. And Jesus says, you know what the problem is here? You're saying I'm the problem. I'm not the problem here. I'm not the one that's demon possessed. You're getting rid of me is opening yourself up to further work of Satan is what it's really doing. And that's a scary thing. And the passage right before this, Luke uh, adds it right before, Matthew adds it right after is Luke 11, 24 through 26. And it's Jesus talking about an unclean spirit and he's paralleling it to this generation. So verses 24 through 26 of Luke chapter 11, it says this, when an unclean spirit, Jesus says, has gone out of a person, meaning the, uh, Jesus has bound the strong man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. It, when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Matthew adds, so it will be with this generation for rejecting God himself. You see this generation had cleaned up. They looked so great on the outside. Some of them probably half-heartedly repented at the coming of John the Baptist, remember? Uh, but they looked good, they put everything in order, but what'd they do? What'd they fail to do? They failed to replace it with the something greater. They failed to replace it with Jesus. It says the last state of that person is worse than the first, so it will be with this generation. You see, we today can do the same thing. We can clean up all we want. Uh, we can sweep the house, put everything in order. We can check off all the boxes, but we are not filling our lives with Jesus Christ, with a personal relationship with him. We're gonna be worse off after than we were before. We cannot kid ourselves. It's not about just religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to fill it with the something greater. And if you look in this passage, there's kind of a level of increased revelation, how Jesus says, well, you, you look at the Old Testament, Jonah and Solomon, well, something greater than them are here. So we see this increase of revelation that this generation had that the generations before them did not have. And if you read the, the Bible as a whole, you see increased revelation from Genesis on to Revelation. And it just keeps increasing. And uh, I think Jesus' generation had a lot more than the Old Testament. But what would Jesus' generation say about our generation? What would his generation say about our generation? 
I think, man, we got the Hubble spacecraft that was created over 30 years ago that has allowed us to get into space and see some of the most unbelievable images we've ever seen that just magnify the glory and the majesty of our Lord. And we've gotten that in the last 30 years. They never had that before us. Never had that before us to be able to see in space like that. We have full uh, color photography and videography. And think about that. We are able to see underneath, in the sea, uh, uh, we're able to see underwater, we're able to see in space, we're able to see this cosmos that they've never been able to behold before. That just goes to greater depths of how good and how big and how grandeur our God is. We're given revelation today than we never had before. Um, we can see into a woman's womb and see how intricate a baby is formed and developed over, it's just unbelievable. They never had that before, could never do that before, which shows us even more the magnitude of the glory of the Lord. Um, We have the Bible written in almost 3,000 languages, 3,000 languages. Uh, Commentaries and Bible study tools at our fingertips to understand his word. The original, we have uh, some of the original, Greeks and Hebrew some of the original writings that are so close to the original manuscripts, 99.5% accurate to the originals. They never had that before. Uh, Archaeological digs found every single day that confirm his word, always confirming his word. You see, the glory of God has been revealed to our generation more than any generation before us. That's what's crazy. Uh, And I think about my generation, man, we want a sign, right? We want to see God. We want to hear God. We want to see him move. And that's good. That can be a good thing. But the irony is that we've we've had more revealed to us than any generation before. It just comes down to whether you believe it or not. Do you believe the sign of Jonah or not? Do you believe his word or not? That's what we got to decide. And you see, the more and more we go on, the less and less of an excuse we have to reject this great light that we keep understanding God to an even greater depth. The greater the revelation, the greater the responsibility, and we have something greater, amen? You see, that cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about has only increased over the last 2,000 years. Just it keeps increasing. J.I. Packer said this, truly, the inner unity of the Bible is miraculous, how all 66 books come together to make one story about the person and work of Jesus Christ. In and of itself, that's a miracle. He said, it's a sign and a wonder challenging the unbelief of our skeptical age. This word, this Bible is a sign, it is a miracle in and of itself. Uh, if we don't believe this, we wouldn't even believe if someone raised from the dead in front of our eyes. And that's what they're saying. You see, this generation, they morally cleaned up, but they never filled it with something greater. So can we clean up. We can sweep. We can look good on the outside. But if we don't believe Jesus raised from the dead, if we don't believe we have a, that we can have a personal relationship with him and to keep his commands, hear them and obey them, it's worthless. It's worthless. We can check all the boxes we want. And we are, we're no doubt a very visual uh, people, very visual creatures. We seek the supernatural and for God to answer. And you know what? He has answered abundantly. Abundantly. Do we believe the resurrection? Every single person has to make a decision on that. He's answered in his word clearly. And what a blessing and, and of an era that we live in. We're in the era of something greater, the area of Jesus Christ, where he has been uh, waiting his, we've been waiting his arrival for 2,000 years now, but increased revelation over time of seeing more of his glory through technology. 
Hebrews says this is the final way, speaking about Jesus, that he is going to speak to us. We have that. And here's the cool part, okay? We get to be just like this passage where we get to be like Jonah, where we go and tell others about this wrath that is to come, but that it's not too late. It's not too late. There is wrath coming. There is judgment coming, but I promise you we serve a God who wants to show you grace. We, we serve a God that wants to welcome you into his arms and welcome you into his family. And that's the part we get to play of Jonah. We also get to play the part of the Queen of Sheba or of Solomon, I guess you would say, where the Queen of Sheba comes from the ends of the earth to see his glory so people will come to see us and they should see something so far greater in us, so wonderful that they see Christ in us and they walk away saying, man, the half was not told to me about this Jesus. This is even greater than I heard. This is even better than expected. And that's what, that's the, those are the two parts we get to play in people's life is that they should see us and they should say, there's something different with these people. A couple years ago now, I got the privilege of um, meeting a couple, a Muslim couple uh, from the Middle East. Uh, he, uh, Mehdi and Hania, a wonderful couple, wonderful, wonderful people. And I've gotten to establish a relationship with them since. They come through a church on a morning a couple years ago. And they're coming by starting point and they're kind of just looking around. And I kind of walk up to them and I say, hey, um, how can I help you? What are y'all looking for? And uh, they say, you know, this is our uh, first time to church. I said, how'd you hear about Ditton Bible? They said, well, um, we looked it up online and we just, this is our first time coming and we're just kind of checking it out. I said, well, what brought you to church? They said, we're Muslims. They said, we've been over here. He's over here for his doctorate. She's over here for her master's at UNT. And uh, I kid you not, they said, we've been watching Christians for the last four years. And they said, there's something different something we've never seen before, and we just want to know what it is. And I thought, should I share the gospel with him or not? I wasn't quite sure. That's a joke, of course. And I thought, man, what an, this is, talk about teed up for you to just smoke out of the park. And I said, I would love to sit down with you and answer any questions you have and talk with you. And they weren't quite ready to share, or to accept Christ right then and there. But over the next couple months, I got to meet with them, share Christ with them, answer any questions they had. And we ended up meeting with Tom Nelson, our senior pastor, and we all met in his office with them, and they accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It was one of the most wonderful things I got to see. Yeah, it was just so sweet, so sweet to get to, get to watch it from the, you know, it wasn't the start. And that's what I always say. I'm like, man, what an example of the people that were so faithful for the last four years, and they may have no idea that they ever came to faith, Right? But we got to watch them come to faith and I've got to watch the Lord just use them and mold them like it's just been unbelievable for him to give them now purpose and the answers and to complete some of their passions now in Jesus Christ. And they're now on the East Coast. He's teaching at a Christian college. It's unbelievable. But you see, they watched Christians for the last four years. I'll never forget this. They watched Christians for the last four years. They said there's something different, just like the Queen of Sheba said. There's something, this is not the half was told me. Jesus is even better than I thought. And we get to glorify him. And there is something greater here, right? Amen. His name is Jesus. And we get to point him to it. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Luke. 
Thank you for Jonah. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you for Lord Jesus Christ, who those pale in comparison to him. I mean, these are good, but he is just, it's infinitely greater. And Lord, we thank you that we live in this era of something greater, that we have the answers in Jesus Christ that is sufficient means to know you, to love you, to follow you. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Just like the Queen of Sheba was dumbfounded, speechless, breathless upon Jesus, so we are like that with him. And I hope we never forget that of his glory. Lord, teach us your will and your ways. I pray that when you just look down at this church, look down at this people, Lord, you are so honored, you're so glorified, you are so pleased. You say, this is a people after my own heart. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for Christ. It makes this possible. We pray for your blessing in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.